Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE about a year ago and founded a small consultancy and became a podcast host. Before I introduce our guest, I want to thank Technip FMC for sponsoring this podcast. And I want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one-question survey. It takes about 10 seconds, and the link is in the show notes below. In return, we'll send you some stickers for your hard hat or your laptop. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Dr. Dan Hill, Professor, Petroleum Engineering, Nobel Chair, Regents Professor at Texas A&M. Hi, Dan. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, thanks for the invitation, Elena. I'm so glad that we're talking today. We're at the plenary, we just finished the plenary session of the SPE Hydraulic Fracturing Technology Conference, and you were instrumental in bringing this session to, together. Tell us something about the messages in the plenary and what you thought of today's session. Well, this plenary, um, uh, we had three operating companies uh, speaking about uh, laboratory, field laboratory experiments that they have conducted in recent years on hydraulic fracturing and, and in particular applying very advanced diagnostics uh, to to this technology. This was really um, triggered by the fact that uh, over the last several years, the Department of Energy has sponsored 17 of these field laboratories around the country. And, and the, 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 what we're learning about the hydraulic fracturing process from these laboratories is just amazing and, and uh, driving the uh, incredible um, improvements in this technology that we've seen in the last five and ten years. So, so Elaine, I, I think it was a, a really a nice session, and would thanks go to the Department of Energy, which Elena, of course, was instrumental in, in all of this happening, um, uh, to, to conducting all of these field laboratories. And we saw this morning just the kind of really incredible results that have come from some of these. Absolutely. Let's see. So some of the field laboratories that were featured today was the hydraulic fracturing test site number, number one. Number three. Number three. three yeah. Sorry. Phase three phase of three HFTS-1. Of HFTS, yes. That's right, right. Right. Okay. Yeah, great. That's right. And um, the Bakken? That was, yeah. That's the Eagleford, the first one. Uh, second was the Bakken with Hess. And the third um, um, was, um, they didn't mention the formation, but it's, 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 it's South Texas. South Texas. <laughs> that was okay. SM Energy um, uh, and their experiment. And this is the one that we at Texas A&M were, were actually the, the principal investigators of that project. And uh, we got the DOE grant uh, several years ago for that work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's important, I think, for people to appreciate that some of the market power that the, that the U.S. government was able to appreciate in terms of oil market power yeah. that we hadn't experienced for decades was possibly yeah. because of the shale revolution. Give us a little sense of what we didn't know, what we learned a little bit about, but then we learned more about that actually yeah. broke open and made so much production possible. For well, us. just, you know, to put this in context, uh, the U.S. is now producing on the order of 
1.8 million barrels per day of oil just from unconventional reservoirs. And in 2010, that, that, that volume was basically zero. So in essentially a decade, by applying hydraulic fracturing technology in horizontal wells, um, this, this incredible benefit to the United States has, has been enabled. And uh, additionally, over that 10-year period, the cost of these wells has about dropped in half. The productivity is up by 10 times or more per well so um, and this is all by increasing our understanding of where the fractures go where the propent goes and how to drill the wells most efficiently and fracture most efficiently Um, and that leads to getting more production per well absolutely and the the, the production per well is is multiple times more than it was just 10 years ago Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that is that's so important. So, um, from your uh, background, um, you have a bachelor's in chemical engineering from Texas A&M, and then a master's in chemical from the University of Texas Austin, and then a PhD in chemical engineering, same University of Texas at Austin. So, this is this is uh, not petroleum engineering. <laughs> no. So, give us a hint about that. Uh, you're right, Elaine. It's not. So, um, it actually started uh, in my graduate student days. So, my supervising professor, a brilliant man named Robert Schechter, passed away several years ago now. But um, uh, he was interested in enhanced oil recovery uh, and well stimulation. And of course, these there's a lot of processes in oil and gas recovery that are very chemical related. He was a chemical engineer and and these were some of them. So my PhD research was actually about stimulating oil wells with acids. And so I I was kind of getting interested in the upstream side, the production of oil and gas. We call it the upstream part of the oil and gas business in my graduate's days. And then when I graduated, I went to work for Marathon Oil Company at their Denver Research Center, a lovely facility years ago, no longer in existence for that company, but at Littleton, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. I moved up there and they put me to work on upstream problems completely. So I worked on improving sweep efficiency of water floods, well stimulation problems still. I got into looking at a technology called production logging where they had they had an offshore field in Alaska that the wells were deviated and we run these instruments in these wells to try to locate where the oil was coming from and the results were very puzzling to say the least. So so that that led to a very interesting study of that that kind of measurement and technology. It's still something I'm interested in. In fact, I just finished a second edition of a book about it just a year or two ago for SPE. So, so that's what, really at Marathon Oil, I morphed into a petroleum engineer. And then after about four and a half years there, U- University of Texas invited me to come back to the petroleum engineering department as a faculty member, and I kind of jumped off the cliff and said, okay, I'll try it. And that was 40 years ago. Oh, the rest is history, he says. (laughs) So really, oil and gas is your background. It it really is, from my graduate student days till till now. Yeah, yeah. Your your bio says you have five patents in oil recovery and well injection processes. Um, And you're recognized as an industry expert in the areas of production engineering, well completions, well stimulation, production logging, complex well performance, horizontal and multilateral wells. And you've presented lectures and courses and consulted on these topics throughout the world. Oh, my gosh. 
gosh. Superstar. <laughs> well, and I'm not the only one who thinks you're a superstar. No. You received, in 2020, you received the Society of Petroleum Engineers' highest award, the honorary membership for the Society of Petroleum Engineers. So it seems that you've been making a lifetime of contributions to the oil and gas sector. What What oh, is some of the you, work you're involved in now that you can share with us? Well, so um, uh, throughout that, uh, the, my career, well stimulation has been one of my um, uh, primary interests and still is. So the two primary methods of stimulating wells, which means to make them produce more or more efficiently, um, are either acid stimulation or hydraulic fracturing in the province. And, and I've been studying both of those for many years. So we're just about to conclude this field laboratory um, uh, project that the DOE uh, sponsored. Uh, and uh, uh, we're, uh, when Eric mentioned we've got five years of data, at least uh, analysis ahead of us, I said that. That's, oh. <laughs> I mean, we could spend the rest of my career probably analyzing all the immense amount of data that you get from these fiber optic measurements in these wells and, and uh, pressures and tracers and, and uh, you know, uh, basically every advanced diagnostic out there was applied, including some things from the Lawrence Berkeley Lab, for example, where the, the geophysicists uh, there have developed uh, a device they call a surface orbital vibrator, which creates seismic source on the surface, but without using these big trucks that, you know, you have in, in 20,000 cables on the surface and so on. They put a few of these vibrators around over the wells that were being hydraulically fractured and actively interrogate the, the volume that's being affected by the process. So, so just some incredible technology we, uh, that uh, was being applied in that project. And, and so that one's been a lot of fun, working directly with industry, with SM Energy, with the Berkeley Lab, Rice University, Stanford University. Uh, it's, it's been a, a, a really enjoyable collaboration. Uh, on the asset side, I still do that sort of things too. And we've been doing a lot of laboratory work over the years with, with acid injection and, and in fact this year I'm um, uh, what's called a distinguished lecturer for the Society of Petroleum Engineers so as that I'll, I travel around the, the world to SBE uh, chapters to give the same talk at all these places and my talk for SBE is on how to decide whether you inject acid at a relatively low pressure so the rock is not fractured or to actually fracture the rock and then inject acid into the fractures. And, and so some of my, one of some of my graduate students had come up with some, with some really nice um, um, <coughs> criteria and, and models of the processes to, 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 to drive that uh, selection in a, you know, a, a, a technical way, not just a rule of thumb is what our industry had been doing. So, right, yeah, right. So, no, so a technical yeah. way. That's absolutely, yeah. and that's the role that the data, all the data that you're collecting yeah. and different um, facets of a diamond, I would say, trying to understand yeah. how they all come together right. to give you a picture of something we, we really can't see from different points True. of view, different kinds of measurements. So this, this, whole, nation, this whole notion of uh, data collection, data analytics... Um, this is really important to oil and gas. To, to talk a little bit about about that side of it and about bring it all yeah. together, about some of the advances in in the machine learning, even leading toward AI. If you yeah, will. sure. So, um, well, again, first of all, the the data volume is just 
almost unbelievable. So these fiber optic cables, what they are, it's, it's a tiny uh, optical fiber embedded in a little metal tube. It runs the entire length of the well. So these wells may be seven, 8,000 feet deep and then a 10,000 foot horizontal lateral. And so you've got data coming from about every meter of that length, 15,000 feet or so, um, multiple times per second. And, and some of the data is acoustic data, um, sounds actually, sound that, that the fiber detects. And that's, that acoustic data is, is, is not just a data point, it's a frequency spectrum of sound energy that's being measured continuously. So one of the first um, wells that we analyzed, my, our students, in, in, in looking at this type of data was from the, the first of these demonstration projects was called the MSEAL, the Marcellus uh, Energy and Environmental Laboratory up in, the Mar- in West Virginia. And they sent us the data from just one fiber for a short period of time. It came in suitcases filled with hard drives <laughs> <laughs> and we had something like seven terabytes of data from you know one fiber in one well for a short period of time so just give you some idea so with our sm energy project we had these fibers recording for months and and so honestly there's just parsing the data is the first critical step and and it's not a trivial problem so uh, there's a lot of data management issues and that's before you really get into the analysis where and now perhaps ai and other you know advanced diagnostics uh, you then apply numerical models that you match this data with and so on it it's it's uh, so so not all data is good data i mean there's true absolutely um, I don't know, yeah. corrupt, I don't even know what to, what you call the word, data that's not accurate or... Yeah, and, and yeah, so first you have to get rid of that, but but, uh, but in addition, you have to just select small portions to for, for it to be a manageable problem. Ah, to, to okay, yeah. so you have yeah. all the data, you, you um, analyze yeah. part of it, and you save part of it. Yes, we save it all. Well, you save it all. Save <laughs> but all. Yeah. and and you know a lot of a, a lot of this is simplified by fairly simple data processing. So for these uh, fiber data, the 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 first output that's provided is um, is a contour plot. So for temperature, for example, uh, you get a plot of temperature as a color, you know, red's warm, blue's cold, as a function of position along these thousands of feet of the well and versus time. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's a time distance um, contour plot. And you can very quickly, it's very visual, and you can see, oh, there's the cool frac fluid. It got to this point in the well at this time, just by glancing into this one plot that's, you know, amalgamated them huge amount of data actually and and then on the acoustic side um the 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 service companies who provide the measurement they do a lot of the processing uh, initially so they'll they'll take a look at a certain frequency band of acoustic energy and and figure out an acoustic amplitude for that frequency band and 
and create the same kind of a contour plot I'm talking about. Acoustic energy versus position along the well and versus, versus time. So what we're seeing things that when, you, when you're doing that in the well that's being fractured, you can actually hear the slurry going through perforations. So wow. it, it, it gets noisy. The signal gets noisier where the frac fluid and the propen are going. Uh, so that's that's been um, uh, very interesting. Our students have been analyzing that for years now. So, so with both the temperature and the, the acoustics, we can figure out how, how we think the fluid's distributed. And now we have a new piece that's just come along in the last three or four years with the, with the, these fiber optics. If you have a cable in an observation well, say a thousand feet away, we can these. These fibers are so sensitive to strain, to being compressed or, or pulled on just a tiny amount. We can measure that micro strain and actually see a fracture approaching that observation well. And then when it actually arrives, if it actually gets the observation, it's very obvious the strain has a very characteristic signature when that happens. So, so we're getting detailed measurements in the well being treated and as, as well as in observation wells um, in the neighborhood. And, and you know, it's giving us it's a much better picture of, with the fracture system that's been created. And it's important to think of it as a system because these wells would not work if we were just making a fracture each place we inject into. It, it would not work. You have to create a huge amount of fracture area to drain the oil or gas from the very tiny pores in these rocks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is so this is wonderful because as you get a better understanding of how the different parameters kind of fit together, it's, especially with a visual, then your brain can start yeah. to analyze this. And yeah. our brain is much better than the very best computer. True. It's just we don't have as much memory as the computers do, but that's not the point. We're smart, and we know how to do that. The, I just want to share with others that booming that's going on in the background is we're in the plenary session. We're at the Hydraulic Fracturing Technology Conference. And they're taking things down. And, and they're taking things down and, and switching over. So don't be put off by that. This is this is real life. This is real time. So that's, so that's so that's great, and and so um, you've got a lot of students working for you. So a lot of PhDs are going to yeah, yeah. be earning their degrees Absolutely. from yeah. this kind of yeah. work. That's that's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful investment. Yeah. You know, we're we're getting close to the end of time. I, I don't okay. want to run out before I ask you. Um, so these field laboratories are the source of this data, and and the concept was the, the Department of Energy uh, provided. Um, 80% of the cost of this research for a particular project yeah. and the industry provided 20%. I mean, that yeah. was a minimum yeah. requirement. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I know that some of these projects were really, really uh, uh, popular in the sense that as people started understanding the science and seeing the science and not have to carry so much of the risk associated with the science yeah. that you had more and more partners. So really, industry... Yeah was contributing lots and lots of money and you talked about yeah. the uh, Marcellus Field Laboratory I think that was like 2008 or a, a time frame like that yeah. uh, it started. Uh, when it started and, and the data and some of the learnings and, and the learnings from one field laboratory helped inform the next field laboratory that was part of the deal to yeah. learn as you go along ultimately 17 field laboratories 19 sites so so a lot of lot of investment and of course that's what as we started out discussing that's why we have the oil and gas from uh, unconventionals that yeah, we that we have yeah, today yeah. so so what are your thoughts now that that's 
kind of not the the norm here of the government spending <laughs> well, so investing a, so much it's, in this. It's a shame. I, I mean, if you, and and who knows where we'll head in the future? But the it it's there's no doubt that the the learnings from these types of uh, field laboratories there's been many times over what DOE invested in and, and and by the way the companies spend quite a bit more than the DOE fund in our project with SM Energy um, um, <clears throat> the SM spent on you know drilling and completing the wells was not paid for with any DOE money and that's costs more than the whole project right, from the DOE right. side so it was probably two or three times as much that yeah. SM Energy spent directly on yeah. the wells in this project uh, compared with the DOE investment, which yeah. was $8 million total. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, uh, but anyway, it's, there's no, it's obvious that you can see how the practices in the field have been changed because of um, uh, the findings of some of these projects. And, and, uh, and it's continuing, as we saw this morning, it's a continuing, yeah. there's a lot more uh, of this still underway and, and, uh, and we're yeah. learning a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and just to finish out the story. So, um, the DOE funding was not, the government's fund, the taxpayer dollars, your dollars were not used to, um, do the completion, but, no. um, what did the DOE dollars go for? What did our taxpayer so they dollars went, go for? They went to kind of the add-ons. So for our project, for example, of our $8 million, $4 million about was spent in the field. So to buy the fibers, for example, they're very expensive. Right. To, to, they were about half of what we spent in the field was just to purchase and install the fibers and the monitoring equipment that goes with them. And you wouldn't have the data without that. And the data's in the public domain. Exactly right. So it took taxpayer dollars and really provided some huge Basically, yes, use taxpayer dollars to share with everyone, uh, you know, this very valuable data that, number one, probably wouldn't have been taken at all if SM Energy hadn't partnered with us. Uh, They may have done it themselves, but then the data would have been just theirs. And and so that's what we did with things like those orbital vibrators I mentioned. That was paid for with DOE money. Um, all of the advanced diagnostics that were kind of the, the add-on that would not normally be done by an operator. That's where the DOE money came into the play. The science, then. The, the science, absolutely. It was the science because yeah. companies need to make, uh, make a return on their investment. Sure. That's why that's what capitalism is that's what makes america great um but the science maybe you know is a little riskier or whatever there's not a return on that investment but if you take taxpayer dollars you put it into the public domain and everybody can use it then everybody then there is a huge return to the taxpayers absolutely as in more oil and gas um because of because of that investment yeah well as i said we're almost out of time is there are there any last things you want to share with our uh, well, listeners? Well, uh, just, um, you know, what I tell our students is th- they have a tremendous challenge ahead of them in their career, which they can expect to be a long, fruitful career in the production of oil and gas, as well as contributing things like geothermal energy, which we absolutely, our petroleum engineering technology is what is required to do that. Um, but, you know, and it's, carbon it's an, storage. Carbon storage is also a, 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 where there'll be a lot of contribution from petroleum engineering, but all forecasts, uh, all forecasts, including our own governments, are that in 25 years, this world will need 30 million barrels a day more oil 
than the 100 million barrels per day we're producing right now. So that's the challenge that's that challenge. our students face. Right. And, and I just tell them we're counting on you right. <laughs> to keep us going because it, right. it's going to be an incredible, incredible task to keep the world running. And obviously we need every form of energy we can get, every form to keep the 8 billion people in the world you know, fed and happy. And, That's and, right. Uh, so uh, energy it's, it's, poverty is the worst thing can happen to someone. Yeah, and, you know, I'll just finish. I, I, I startled my students when I tell them, point out that there's still a billion people on this planet who don't have electricity. And it's not because they don't want electricity, right? They, they'd like to have a they car like to drive, to and so, but they don't have it yet, but they should have it. Right. And, and so that's, you know, that's an incremental part of our challenge is to bring the rest of the world up to the kind of comfort level that we've enjoyed for so long. Yeah. Well, you can't go to school if you can't do your homework. You can't do your homework if you don't have light, even if you don't use a computer, right? You just need to, I mean, that is, um, really speaks to the quality of life for people. Absolutely. Oh, it's been wonderful talking with you, Dan. I so appreciate you for, for being with us today. So, Dr. Dan Hill, Professor of Petroleum Engineering at Texas A&M, thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions and your work in oil and gas upstream. You're very welcome, Elaine. My pleasure. Thank you. Please thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you like and what you'd like to hear about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil and Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.